Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self Worst. Hello, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Self Worst. It's another episode. It's another week. It's another day. It's another uh, moment of our lives that goes by and. Uh, Nothing happens and it's inconsequential. What's up? Uh, it's morning time. I, I couldn't uh, finish the, the, the episode and get it uh, uh, scheduled uh, on time. So I'm doing this live. I'm going to post this as soon as, I'm, as I hit stop and get this put into the episode. Uh, it's fresh, hot off the presses, Thursday morning, recording at 7 a.m. It's early. I had to get up early to, to do this. It feels good sometimes. Getting up early makes me feel like a real person. And I, I, gotta, I gotta do it. I got shit to do today. I got therapy in a minute. I don't have a whole lot to bring to the table this week. It was kind of an uneventful week. You ever have those? Those of us in therapy? Which I assume is most of us listening to this. Sometimes you just have kind of a boring week. You don't have much to say. Your therapy session kind of sounds like uh, like Garrison Keeler news from Lake Wobegon. You're like, uh, well, uh Myrtle Kreps Ball uh, was down at the Chatterbox Cafe, and she said her uh, husband uh, fell in the bathroom or whatever they talk about. There's nothing, not much to say. I don't know. It was cold this week. That's boring. Talk about the fucking weather. What are you supposed to do? The slap. I guess I got to address the slap. The Will Smith slap. We all know about this. Old news at this point. Travels that fast. Shit goes that fast. It's already kind of stale. Happened on Sunday, it's Thursday, and it's already kind of, we're already kind of tired of hearing about it. But, I feel like I need to address it. Uh, just because, I mean, it's in the zeitgeist, but it's also, uh, shall we say, a full-grown man with anger issues, embarrassing himself. So I gotta say, I mean, it was out of line, shouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. But I kind of feel for the guy in a way. I know what it's like to fly off the handle and do some embarrassing shit and just be like, oh, man, I look like an asshole now. I can't undo that. Everybody saw it. Fuck. I look like a complete jerk off. How embarrassing. Everybody's going to laugh at me forever. Only difference is... Well, there's a couple of differences. I'm not a multi, multi, multi-millionaire like Will Smith. Uh, and I, I, I don't actually physically assault people. See, that's, that's an important part. If he had just like got up and, and like thrown his drink down on the ground or just like stood up and yelled, punched a hole in a wall, get up and just like break a table... You know, that's inanimate objects. That's not great. That's childish. That's stupid. 
But you can't put your hands on another person, Jack. You can't do that. And I've somehow managed to never uh, strike anyone in anger. Except for my sister when we were kids, and that's what kids do. Siblings do that. They punch and hit each other and slap and pinch each other and spit on each other and, you know, slap and kick and whatever, poke. That's sibling stuff. That's bygones. Meredith and I, we're friends now. Going to her wedding. Mazel. I can say that as a Gentile, right? If it's my sister. <sighs> anyway, all that to say, uh, it, 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 it made me... I mean, obviously, it's, it's mostly just kind of funny because it's just two rich assholes, rich famous people, and they have a little slap fight, and, you know, it's embarrassing and stupid. But at the end of the day, they go home to their mansions, and they're fine. And they're like, yeah, I'm still rich, famous, fabulous, everything's, the, the, the world is under my thumb. It's not like he's probably not going to lose his job. He's probably not going to go broke. And that's a real thing for people with behavioral issues who aren't super rich. They're one bad day away from losing their job and having to fucking start all over again. That's more what I'm talking about. That's more what I'm trying to address here. Is that uh, it's hard out there and you gotta stay frosty. If you've got those issues, if you have uh, uh, impulse control issues. Like me and Will Smith. You know, we have a lot in common. And uh, you really just have to, you, you got to take some responsibility and you got you to gotta be on top of that shit. I'm sorry. You got to be a grown-up about it. got to be a big boy. And even if you do, sometimes you're still going to have a bad day and you're still going to mess up. What do you do then? I don't know. It's some funny shit, though. Everybody, it was a very funny night on the internet. Everybody really having some hot takes about it. I'm honestly sort of surprised that comedians don't get slapped more often. I think Chris Rock, he took it like a champ. That is definitely not the first time he's been popped in the mouth. He really just, like, took that one. He ate it. He was just like, okay, cool. I'm fine. I'm barely even phased. Props to him. I mean, it was a tasteless joke, but what? I don't know. Come on. Whatever. Everybody chill out. The world is still falling apart. People are still dying of COVID. We're still on the brink of war with a nuclear superpower. There's still, like, lots of bad shit. I didn't even really read about it because I didn't want to add that stress to my life. But, like, a massive shelf fell off an ice cap in the Arctic. Like, the size of Manhattan, just like, off 
done, falling off, great. That's cool. And we're worried about some rich people hitting each other. A little open-handed slap. Just a little slap. Come on, guys. Let's focus. That's all I got to say. Let's bring it. Let's focus. Let's let's get it back. Let's get it back. I got to go. I got to go do shit. I got to do, do therapy. I got to go to work. So let's introduce our guest. This week, we're talking to Melanie Owen. She's a musician based in Seattle. I just met her. Who kind of happenstance, because uh, she's a friend of a friend, and uh, they wanted to pick my brain about uh, the art of podcasting. And they're like, who do we know who's a fucking master at podcasting? The best in the game. Expert. Let's, let's call up Brad, pick his brain about how to do a podcast and make it the best podcast in the world. So we got talking about it and I was and I was like, hey, what's your podcast gonna be about? And they're like, uh, it's about, you know, recovery and mental health and you know, and I was like, oh cool, so that's up my alley. You should be on my show. You should accept the honor of being on the greatest podcast, the most popular podcast that everybody listens to. Ten times Joe Rogan. And uh, I was gracious and humble enough to welcome them onto this show. So you're welcome, everybody. Anyway, this is a great talk uh, with Melanie. I think she's got a lot of good insights, and I think her podcast is going to be really great once it, once it launches. And I'm going to keep you posted about that. I don't even know if they picked a name yet. They haven't recorded anything yet. It's still in the concept phase, but don't worry. I think they got follow through. I think they're serious about it. And I think it's going to really happen. So stay tuned for that. I'll let you guys know. And you know, guys is a gender neutral term. When I say it, I'm from the Midwest. I say you guys. Okay, let's, uh, you know, housekeeping, uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, I'm on Spotify. I'm on the problematic Spotify. We're kind of all done being mad at Spotify, right? Like everybody sort of forgot about that whole thing. Anyway, I'm on there. Rate and review. iTunes, rate and review. Screenshot. Tag us in your Instagram stories. Put it on your stories like I'm listening to this bullshit tag me and I'll regram you and stuff and I'll be your friends. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash selfworst. That would be very nice of you. And, uh, that's about it. That's about it. Is that it? Uh, follow me, Bradical Pearson on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Kind of still on my Twitter break. Follow the show at Self-Worst. I'll, I'll tell you all about this again later. Anyway, that's all. Let's go to the interview with my new friend, Melanie Owen. Well, um, so we know each other. We have a mutual friend, uh, Caitlin O'Connor, um, who introduced us just uh, 
the other day. Um, yes. you're, you're out in Seattle and you were curious about, uh, you know, the, the world of podcasting. You want to start a podcast. So let's start there. Let's talk about, uh, what made you want to start doing that? And, um, and you know, what some of your favorite podcasts are and, and what you want yours to, to be about and bring to the world. Sure. Sure. Well, I think, uh, I think you mentioned too, uh, that, um, like the, those of us who have a, have had a desire to do a podcast for a very long time, but really haven't known where to start. Like I've had a desire to do a podcast. Um, and then of course, you know, like through the pandemic, lots of people found their way to do that. And I did not. <laughs> mm. So I'm i I'm a little, I, I'm always been a late bloomer. Uh, and in, in true fashion, I'm coming around, uh, to it. Um, I've had all sorts of ideas for podcasts. I think the thing, the idea that has really got me going, that got me into action, actually writing stuff down, putting it in the same place. So it's organized, um, is actually recovery, um, recovery from substances, me particularly recovery from alcohol. And I also quit smoking during this uh, when I quit drinking <laughs> at the same time in the beginning of um, 2021, January 1st, 2021. So um, I have noticed that the major narrative for recovery out in the world is kind of one, one way. There's one way. Um it usually involves a spiritual path like AA. Um, and uh, I have found that there are so many ways to recovery. Um, and I'm actually involved in an organization called Smart Recovery. Um, that's a cognitive behavioral face, uh, therapy-based recovery program. And um, it's a uh, it really, it's really empowering. And so, like through that, I started to see like people who recover in all sorts of different ways. And so that is the gist of the podcast that I want to produce is um, to have people telling their stories um, where whatever they are, because in the end, I truly believe that there is many ways to recover from uh, harmful behaviors with substances. I'll just put it that way. Um, there are as many ways to recover as there are human beings on the planet. Mm. So there are some general things that work for a lot of us, but in the end, we're all on kind of individual journeys. And it it would be nice to hear more of those out in the world. Um, and there are more. There are more podcasts now. Um, but mine specifically, I want I want to have uh, a lot of different stories out there. Right. Uh, this is something that we have talked about um, on this show in previous episodes. I mean, obviously, this is a mental health podcast, so I've talked to people, uh, you know, at kind of both ends of the uh, sobriety spectrum. Um, and uh, a lot of people in recovery, I've had people on the show who uh, are AA people who swear by the 12-step stuff and they're they're into that. Uh, I have a lot of people who they, that never worked for them, that was never going to work for them, uh, but they still feel felt like they needed to uh, change something. And that's really what it fundamentally, I think, comes down to is yeah. any 
anything that you're doing with a behavioral change, like something big needs to break, needs to bust open and needs to needs to be changed, moved around fundamentally. Um, otherwise, like the the patterns are obviously going to continue. I mean, I'll use a, a AAism. If nothing changes, nothing changes. You know, like it's right. um, <laughs> there are nuggets of wisdom in there, even though like, I, you know, I've heard you know, mixed things. And, and I don't want to like shit on 12 step programs. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're on a 12 step program and that's working for you, then like, you know, uh, Viacom Dios, like th- yep. whatever works for you, man. <laughs> Do but, what works for you. <laughs> yeah. But like, it doesn't work for everybody. And, um, right. this is something that I've learned, especially through doing this show. Um, cause I've talked to a lot of people who have had to get sober for, you know, off of various substances uh, for various reasons. And I'd say the majority of them at this point who I've spoken to, they don't use 12 steps. They use something, they use some other thing. They either do it by themselves or they have their own small community or they talk to their therapist or whatever. So um, can you say a little bit more about like when you decided to stop, um, what kind of, well, let's begin with what brought you to that decision and then, um, the, you know, the kind of ins and outs of uh, how how you found the, the SMART program as opposed to other programs. Sure. Um, I found that I was uh, drinking a lot more than the people around me. Um, I just just sheer sheer volume wise I started noticing like how um, I'm a bass player and do a lot of live shows for work um, so I was noticing uh, just the amount like the amount of drinks I would have in an evening and then like when I started pre-gaming before shows um, and uh, how I would feel at the end of the shows at um, I was hung over all the time. Um, I was, it was a real crapshoot as to whether I was gonna, whether I was gonna like damage a relationship mm-hmm. um, through conversation. It was becoming more and more often. Um, and it had been going on for years, but I think. Um, anybody who's made these changes knows that it takes us a long time kind of to get, to get to the point where you say, I need to make a change. Um, I have it. So I'm talking about like maybe five, six years ago when I was like, I need to make a change. Um, and I actually talked to my therapist who I still see who, um, actually has been really, really good, uh, for me. But I asked her at the time, I was like, I think I need some, stronger help. And I said, I don't think that I can do AA um, just based on um, experiences watching family members go through AA and then the way the family treated them. It's kind of like, um, it's not only once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, but it's like, once you have become this dirt bag, you're always a dirt bag. And um, I'm editing myself on that. So, um, I asked my therapist, do you, you know, what, what else is out there? And I think her words at the time were, I don't know that a whole lot is out there. 
And, um, or she said something about, you know, like the main thing you see is the AA. And so I started Googling and thank goodness I did because there's a program called Smart Recovery um, that has been online doing like online national online meetings on Adobe um, long before the Zoom thing. Um, and so I was able to start looking at the smart stuff, ordered the workbook, brought it to my therapist um, and said, would you help me with this? And she was like, oh, this is cognitive behavioral therapy. Absolutely. I can help you with this. Right. And she took the time to learn about it. And um, so I started the process and then it wasn't until, I mean, I had to practice at long-term abstinence for that five or six years until it finally, I got on a track where I was able to do it. And I had an eight month abstinence period um, before I went back to, now I am not, I consider myself in recovery now, but I'm not completely abstinent. So before I ever picked up a drink again, um, I had eight months of abstinence and, um, the path that I'm on now with, I guess, I guess the term is moderating, um, which I gotta, I gotta find a better term for that. Um, not non-abusive alcohol consumption, um, is, is a, is a much stronger, better path than I was on before. So. Um, what made you decide to go that route of, you know, um, as opposed to total abstinence forever? I don't do anything all or nothing in my life. Mm. I just don't think there's only one way. And some of the... I, so many, so many recovery programs and, and, and for good reason. Um, I think, you know, as the studies show, quote unquote, a lot of people need abstinence and that is great. And that's fine. Um, I question whether it's as many of us as recovery programs, abstinence-based programs would have us believe. Right. I mean, I think I understand why they go for that because I think to take an absolutist stance on it, to tell people, no, nah, you're done. Like this stops and this is a behavior you are going to stop. And it, it, it stops period, mm -hmm. uh, is a much easier, hard and fast rule to cling to, 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 to hold Absolutely. on to. And it's, yeah. I think for a lot of people who have substance issues, that is like you were saying, like, there are people who just like, they don't have the things in their brain that help them control their intake and that's it. And stopping completely is the only way. And then there are people who I think maybe, I think what this is saying, what you're saying, what the approach of this, uh, this treatment is saying is there's maybe just as many other people out in the world who have never tried to uh, change their behavior in terms of substance use at all, because the idea of quitting forever and ever is too daunting and not acceptable. And so they're just like, well, fuck it. Then I'm just going to keep, if, if yeah. I can't, like, I, I can't face this. Like there's, there's nobody who's going to help me. Who's not going to tell me that I can never have another drink again. Then I don't know if I can do it. And they just never do. That idea alone is so scary. I think it, I think, you know, and I had to, I didn't plan on going back 
to moderation, I thought I was going to be abstinent for the rest of my life. Um, and that idea is such a, a mountain that we have to, I don't know, I'm mixing my metaphors. Let's say a monster we have to wrestle with um, to, to come to terms with. And some of us have to grieve that idea that we'll never have mm -hmm. um, that substance again. Um, it's, it's huge, uh, this, this idea of never and forever. It's yeah. I mean, uh, the way I've heard people who have quit entirely is it is like, it's like a death or a breakup. You mourn yeah. your friend that got you through all of this shit. Cause like the yeah. thing about addictions and, uh, you know, abuse issues is that it works for a while and it does like it helps you push past whatever noise it is in your head that's killing you and helps you live a normal life for a minute. But then it's also like poison, literally poison for your brain and yeah. you can't run on it alone forever. It can't be your higher power, quote unquote. It can't be the ultimate end all be all that you turn to. And that's what happens because like, that's the easy answer. And there's a bar on every fucking corner and like drinking is normalized and it's, it's out in the world and you know, you especially as a musician and a lot of other people I've had on the show, you know, work in the performing arts, comedians, actors, whatever, you're always in bars. And yep. like, how are you supposed <laughs> yes. to not do it? You got all these like fucking tantalizing pints of beer around you and like it just it smells like stale, you know, alcohol in every room you go into. Like it's <laughs> I can't imagine how difficult that is. Yeah. I when I so, so when I, um, when I went into my, my, uh, I had a, I had a short period of abstinence and then another couple of years. And then, um, this, this last long period of abstinence, it was about eight months. Um, and, uh, that was my, I have a friend who calls it a factory reset. So it was like my factory reset. Um, uh, but I have another friend who, and, uh, when I was talking to her about it, I was, I was, you know, like going to the bar and not drinking. And she's like, they're just props. They're just, they're just props on the wall. And that even just like, that was so helpful for me. Um, it's like, I'm going into this set where we do this performance and those are props. And um, I think uh, another, another, another comforting idea when I, when I, um, was starting to abstain and then also actually like did my first tour while abstaining um last summer was that i actually had i felt comfort in that there is so much alcohol in the world like it's just everywhere and it's going to be around me all the time um i'm not one who can like be a zealot and vilify alcohol like it's gonna be there right. um but i have had probably three distilleries worth in my lifetime. So like, I've had enough of that. I don't need any more of that. Like right. that's a, it was a good way to say, no, no, thank you. You are there, but I have had enough of that. Um, also I found, like I said, I mentioned Lisa, but I found other friends who are abstinent or sober, um, and there are actually a lot of us in the us. <laughs> I'm not completely abstinent, but um, there are a lot of um, 
uh, non-drinkers out there in the music world. And so um, it was good to like, once you start, you know, it's synchronicity. Once you have an idea or are looking for something, you're going to find it. And um, I found lots of people who don't uh, drink very much or don't drink at all in the music world. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's for every uh, fall down drunk, on stage, there's another guy who's been the fall down drunk and can't do it anymore. And they, right. they, they've quit. So, <laughs> we'll not do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So um, how does this work for you? I mean, and, and again, like I want to underline that this is, you know, this is a subjective, very personal uh, kind of uh, process for each person. So if you're out there listening and you haven't had a drink in like, you know, uh, 18 months and you're like, well, maybe I can do like, Maybe slow uh, maybe yeah. maybe take this with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Like, but um, for you, Melanie, how is this um, working for you? How many like how many do you have? What's your what's your drink? What do you when and where? Like, how does uh, did you establish parameters? How does this work? I did, I did, and I think my parameters are my parameters are still being established as well because I'm just you know kind of since since last August e um, uh, figuring this out. But the first one is that I can't be, I can't be in the halt, the bads mode. I can't be angry, lonely, tired, hungry. Like I can't be depressed. I can't be in a bad mood if I'm going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. That is not why I want it now. Um, I've had to say like, well, what is this for? Um, I got to play a show in California with this woman. Um, she lives in Nashville, but she's from Australia. And I was really like honored that I got to be in her backup band. And like at the end of the show, she's like, Hey, let's have a glass of wine. And they had this like beautiful barbecue feast for us at this place. And, so I was like, you know what? This is what this is for. <laughs> right. This like having a dinner, having a glass of wine with this person, connecting with this person, but not having so much that I'm going to ruin the evening. And it's funny because that was actually the first time that like some of the some of the band went out afterwards after our kind of like dinner and then porch hangout. And I went to bed and some other people like went out after that. And had I done that, I probably would have several people not speaking to me now. Did, so, did you ruin some evenings? Was this a, was this? A I thing? have ruined, I have ruined lots of evenings. Yes. Yeah. I still have some friendships and relationships that I wish I could recover, but I don't know that I, that I ever will. And that's, you know, were you a, a, a <laughs> angry, drunk, aggressive, uh, needy, sad, which, what, what, what would you do? Um, know it all mm. and angry. Yeah know-it-all and angry for sure now that you've done a, yeah. like a good amount of work on yourself um where do you think like because alcohol i think more than i think most any other drug will unlock those sort of bad chambers of your psyche where do you think that those are rooted in in you uh, being a know-it-all being uh, uh, aggressive and angry oh my god where does that anger come from <laughs> I think from not being heard, not being, not feeling heard, um, in a variety of 
circumstances in my life growing up. Um, and then, you know, kind of feeling like I have something to prove, um, which I, I will tell you, I do. <laughs> I, I do still feel like I have something to prove, you know, and like I'm a woman in the music industry and I don't mean to get out the tiny violin, but that shit's still real, you know? Oh, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> it may not be so much with like, like dudes in the younger generation than me, at, or but like definitely there's generational gendered misinformation mm -hmm. <laughs> put it that way uh that i still have to deal with um and sometimes it's funny and then my, you know my current bandmates um um are amazing people and they're dudes uh but they're amazing people and uh i get to in the van like vent about my experiences yeah. when we're touring through somewhere like Arizona or places where I'm going to encounter that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I absolutely kind of grew up having something to prove and feeling not taken seriously and not heard. Mm. So, mm. so she comes out when I drink too much, she definitely comes out. Right. It's like with a vengeance. It's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when did you start in the, you know, performing arts? I know you have like a, a theater background um, and then you decided to make music a, a full time thing. And uh, we'll get to that. But um, when, you know, did you sort of first discover that you had an inclination towards arts and performing? I liked. um <sighs> I was put into piano lessons when I was really young. I think I was three. Um, and it was a Suzuki class uh, teacher where you go to bed with headphones on your head, playing the same song over and over so that you start to learn by ear. Um, I didn't practice enough, according to, this is a point of contention, um, <laughs> to be taken seriously, but I, I, I have I have a really weird relationship with practice actually to this day, but um, that put the music kind of in me, in my brain, wired my brain, I think, to be able to hear something and play it. Um, and I liked singing in church. Uh, I am in no I am in no way a God or a church person now, but that was right. part of the, my growth. This, this was also a thing I found out that you, you had a <laughs> bit of a um I've had a couple of people on recently in the last uh, six months who all grew up in the like hyper evangelical Pentecostal speaking in tongues, like full batshit crazy uh, religious background. And it's it like yep. it has to leave a mark, man. It did. It did. And I didn't even like leave all of my church stuff behind till about 10 years ago. Um, I will just say I'm 45 right now. So okay. um yeah, it took a very long time to get rid of that. But um, like I sang in church, um, there were fun, you know, skits, pageants, whatever at church, uh, started doing theater in high school, played in marching band, did dance, had an amazing dance teacher who was a, a somebody in the uh, community who had their dance company in the community. And then um, 
you know, I was fortunate to have, uh, to, for us to have her as a teacher. And then um, I just really, yeah, I just, I just really loved doing all those things. And I think I, um, I felt connected to the people around me in the theater and choir and band, you know, in high school, theater and choir and band. And um, there was a, a huge social connection in, in the church choir, in the youth group choir. Mm. Um, and then when I started like playing instruments that weren't the instruments that I was formally trained on, I was kind of like, you know, when I picked up a guitar, when I picked up a bass, um, I usually was doing them to impress somebody had a crush on. Ah. But <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, worked out okay for me on bass because I st- this is, this is I put what, it down for a lot of years, but I put it picked it back up again, and sure. I'm glad I did. <laughs> also, this is what like that's the same reason boys pick up an instrument, Come right? On. Like if they can do it, yeah. Boys, boys learn guitar because they want to get laid. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even uh, yeah, even Christian boys in uh, Christian punk rock bands. Of course they do. Although when I. <laughs> They're just still human beings. They're still teenage when boys. I, when I, when I was when I was like in that scene, and I had a boyfriend in that scene, and um, uh, actually, let me retract that. I will I will say my person in that scene. Um, uh, I I went like I went full boy for a little while because, again, I think it comes from not being taken seriously. Um, from being looked at differently, you know, when I pick up an instrument, whatever, I went full boy You're for like tomboy or like identifying as a, a, a as male. I think I was. I think I was trying on male. Hmm. I mean, I was wearing boxer shorts and, um, you know, the white tank tops, and mm-hmm. um, I had short hair. I was like really skinny. Um, I think I was really comfortable that way. Um, Except for, you know, I don't know that that's what got <laughs> the attention of the people that I was I was emulating. I don't know. I want to emulate them, fuck them, be loved by them. I don't sure. know. It was the. It was were you were you born and raised in Seattle? No, um, no. Uh, born in Montana, but like a lot of from the age of ten till about ten years ago, I was in Colorado in the Denver area. Okay. Okay. That yep. uh, that also really tracks with the with the evangelical thing. There's a lot of yes. there's a lot of those folks in Colorado for some reason. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It, my church was like totally focused on the family. Mega church was it like one of the big like everybody doing? It wasn't a mega thing? church, but it was it was just like one. Mm. Um, I think they if they could have been a mega church, they would have been. Um but it was modeled that way. And it was the same, it was the same stuff. Um, a lot of end times, a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of, yeah. um, uh, very, very much obsessed with what teenagers are doing with their bodies. Um, you know, a lot of like, you know, don't, you know, don't be gay, don't have sex, don't, um, don't you know and and also i think i think with the end time stuff too it was a lot of like 
you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're going to hell. You're going to miss the rapture. It was a lot of thought police bullshit. Um, um, did you, I mean, end up internalizing and believing a lot of that? I really did. I mean, from, from when I was a kid, um, so much of the end time stuff. And I think it was the church that we ended up in, in Denver, um, in, in Aurora, Colorado, which is a suburb. Right. Um, there was, there was so much talk about the rapture. I would have rapture dreams. Um, you know, and I was probably 11 when they started where I would come downstairs, I would wake up in the morning in my bedroom and go downstairs and then everybody was gone. And then I would just be like overwhelmed with panic. Like, what am I going to do? Because the rapture has happened and I missed it because I'm not good enough. Um, I remember waiting to hear like how, like, if you miss the rapture, what's going to happen to you? And then there was a sermon about how if you go, if you miss the rapture and you somehow manage to uh, uh, stay a Christian because the Holy Spirit's not going to be with you. And so you're basically going to have a hard time believing in God. So if you manage to keep believing in God, um, what it's going to take for you to go to heaven is that people are going to have to capture you for believing in God and then ask you to renounce, uh, renounce God. Did I pick the right word? Renounce or denounce? Renounce. Um, okay. Thanks. Yeah. And, and denounce is like and, God's God's, uh, you know, I, I don't like God renounces. I don't, okay. there is no God. I give up God. Yeah, right, right. Right. So it's renounce. And, um, so I was going to have to renounce God in front of people. Um, and then they would cut my head off. And that is the only way I would get to heaven. I was convinced when I was 11 years old that I was going to have to have my head cut off. That's pretty metal. To go to heaven because I was obviously going to miss the rapture because I was told over and over that wasn't good enough. So that was the kind of, <laughs> you said, did I internalize it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lot for a fucking 11 year old to process. I don't know how anybody does. I mean, I, I have... Uh, been obsessed for a long time with like the idea of the big doom of a big you know catastrophic end to things um you know uh tornadoes disasters climate change getting nuked like stuff like that but like, the, earth, the big the big earthquake the bigger like yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah like the west like the, the, you know um <laughs> I, I was really uh obsessed with like ideas of like peak oil and like the the energy grid collapsing and y2k and like all of that shit just like scared the hell out of me uh but it was never religious based it was always like oh the world is like chaotic and horrible and violent and like always at one like at any time just like one cunt hair away from just exploding into madness so like that's what it just like always felt like to me but like uh, it was never that was never really told to me by like the adults in my family. Like I can't imagine, you know, my parents and my elders around me telling me that like it always like really creeped me out. The idea of like end time stuff and people like welcoming kind of the end of the world. I'm just like, no, but that's not good. Like we want to live on the world, right? Like that's that's. We want to actually live. I don't. I don't understand I don't why you're welcoming. That these like, people wanted death. to live on the world. They were waiting for heaven. Mm. 
they were waiting for the rapture. They wanted to be able to go in the rapture before God destroyed the U.S. for being Sodom and Gomorrah, for being too sinful. Like they, right. they really, there was a hymn that was sung sometimes that will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Like Jesus it's God. all, you are banking for the afterlife. There is, we are in the world, but not of the world. Like, Seriously, it'll be like, worth it when they don't belong like, when, here. When you see your family incinerated and you watch the flesh melt <laughs> off of your hand in a in a nuclear explosion, it will be worth it once you see <laughs> Jesus and his sweet face. <laughs> Jesus Christ, fucking insane! Exactly. So, um, <laughs> what got you away from it? What was it that made you start to like question it and start to think like, hang on? So fast forward uh quite a lot of years when i was in my early 20s um i was friends with some christian musicians uh we were doing this they must Bible have been study. in some great bands that must have been just some awesome music they were making. <laughs> actually actually their music is really good mm. uh the music is the music is really good um yeah i still they're 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 very good at what they do um uh, I don't know. I've never heard a Christian rock song I like. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> uh, well, there's some good cheese out there too. I mean, we uh, have. Wait, what's that one? Is it Jars of Clay? That song about like Jars uh, of the, Clay? Uh, swimming for forty days, my mind just crushed by the crashing waves. Like that song. That song was kind of a bop. It was on like like bit. alternative radio for a while in the '90s. Sure. I was kind of into that. Anyway, go on. Sure. Sure. I think my first concert was Petra. If you uh, if you want to treat, like look up some Petra. Um, but uh, uh, so so anyway, this I was in this Bible study that that um, was the first place that I was able to question anything in the Bible because we would basically read a passage of scripture and then talk about it, and I was able to like be like, why does it say in the New Testament that women should not speak in church? Why does it say that? And um, we ended up starting a church together. Um, uh, and I was in that involved and, you know, we were going to be different, of course, um, which in the end, the ideas are not different. Um, there was a lot of more room for people who looked like us with you know, punk rockers and mm -hmm. ravers and kids who had had not good experiences going into traditional churches. So we created a space for that. Um, you know, again, I got a lot of, you know, value of community with that. Um, and it was with my friend group was doing. Um, and then uh, I kind of got away from that. And then I went back to it and I helped create a second group out of that. It was kind of for people who were getting older, having kids in our thirties, whatever. Um, I was, um, there were a couple of things going on. Um, my brother had come out as gay. Um, I was definitely questioning my own sexuality mm -hmm. um i guess that's what we say in the church and questioning my sexuality <laughs> um <laughs> right i was a i was a late blooming queer uh had had not yet fully um let myself 
go into that, uh, even think about it much. I was married to a man. Um, anyway, so, so there was a, there were a couple things. Um, one time, uh, a manager of one of the restaurants that I was working in was having a real hard time. And he said, do you think you would take me to church and maybe I could talk to a priest? Now we didn't have priests. We were a different church. We were a cool church, right? No priests. Right. But I thought, oh my God, I can't take this guy to my church because there's still enough people who don't like gay people. Like this, this is not, I can't believe that I can't take him here. And he's looking for something for comfort. And that's what I knew was comfort as well, was this church. Um, one time, uh, I had never, I had never heard, uh, because in, in the church, uh, it was, it was God, damn it. I'm going to say the words, but love, love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm -hmm. And I just cringe when I say it. Um, but it was like, oh, we're all sinners. So, so, you know, gay people are cool because we're all sinners and, um, oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm saying those words out loud for anybody who that hurts. Um, and a friend of mine at one point, um, drew attention to, does your church think that homosexuality is a sin? Because I don't think it's a sin. And the, even the idea of it not being a sin, like hadn't even enter, entered, you know, again, like in, I'm in my mid, my like beginning of my thirties, it hadn't even entered into my brain that it's not a fucking sin. Wow. Right. So, um, so that was a big one. And then, um, of course we're a young married kind of church. Maybe we don't have Mohawks anymore, but we're still, you know, rocking the jacket or whatever. And we'll be a lot of people have kids and whatever. And of course that there are going to be questions about divorce and, me, I was really struggling being in this marriage that I know that I should have not entered into. When did you get married? Um, I was 27. Okay. It was 2003. Um, and I knew, I knew during this <laughs> wedding ceremony that I should not have gotten married. And anybody who's ever like questioned, should I get married? And then you go through with it. Like there's, there's all these reasons why you, you go through with it, you know, because there's people counting on you. There's people around, everything's yeah. planned, blah, blah, blah. And you just do this thing. You're like, I'll deal with it later. And so I was, I still had that internalized voice that I would go to hell if I got divorced um, in my thirties. And uh, so in the end, there were other people having, uh, issues with being married. And, um, the pastor said, God doesn't hate divorce. God does not ban divorce. He just doesn't like it. So basically saying you're not going to hell if you get divorced. And that was my card. That was my card out of the marriage of, um, and then when I left, two things happened. The person who was like my mentor, who's an, uh, an older lady, who's like a scholar, a Bible scholar, um, who was actually like one of the most gracious, kind, wonderful people in my life. 
Um, I told her over the phone, I was driving in traffic on the freeway and she started yelling at me and I started bawling and she was screaming at me like, like I made a promise. I need to keep my promise. And what about God's will? And you don't know what God has for you and all this stuff. And then, um, like once I had had that conversation, nobody called me. This group of people who I had known since my early 20s, who I started two churches with, like a church and then a, and then a nesting church within that church. Like I, they never, nobody called me. Sounds like it wasn't actually that chill and punk rock of a church. No, like I said, nothing's different. And so um, I just, um, you know, it's funny. It's interesting that I don't talk about that very often. Yeah. Part of me doesn't want to hurt the people that I'm talking about. And part of me is just like, how can you still do that? How can you still, you know, anyway, I've made, I've, I, it wasn't long after that, that I was like, okay, so all of these things have happened. How, how could I believe, how could I be with an organization that thought that there's only one way and there's only one way to have it? Like, that's just not like, there's too many kinds of people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I mean, getting back to like this, you know, how come I have the kind of recovery that I have because I'm not all or nothing about anything. Um, and, and there are so many ways, there are so many ways to recover. There's so many ways to have spirituality and there's so many ways, um, to live your life, you know? So, um, I think, I don't know where I got that in my being, but it has finally, it is finally manifest in a lot stronger way. And it um, informs, it informs a lot of what I do now. So. Do you still have a, a spiritual practice now? Um, I do believe that there is something energetically that links us, our brain chemistry, you know, we literally have, electrical impulses running through our bodies. Um, you know, I don't know what that means. I think we, you know, as far as like being here on earth, I think we're tiny little cells that won the lottery and look at this, we're here, we get to be here, we get to experience this. Um, as far as like, one of, one of the very first thoughts that I had when I really left the church and really started to change my thinking was that, oh my God, like, the, the, the most, the, the hardest thing that a person can do for another human being is to look at them, accept all of them, their complexities, everything, and love them, forgive them, try to be close to them without the aid of a higher power or the mandate of a higher power. Like how much more strong, and this was what gave me a lot of strength. Like how much, how much stronger is it that like, I'm fucked up, you're fucked up, but I want to come together with you, whatever it is right? in relationship or, or forgive you or, or love you or whatever, regardless of these things and like find a way to make that work. And I think that is, that's a lot bigger and a lot deeper than some mandate from some dude and I'll say dude on purpose sure. up in up in the clouds 
who are, never showed his face. <laughs> are you familiar with uh, Nadia Bowles Weber and the Church for uh, what, what Church of All Saints and Sinners or Sinners and Saints? No, it's I'm not. Denver-based. Um, I'd heard about her. Um, I think I heard about her on this podcast called On Being, uh, which is it's a. I think it's an NPR show too. You'd like it. Um, but, I'm sure I will. <laughs> um, she's she's kind of. I mean, so far as I can tell, she's like really like walking the walk with uh, being like a, a welcoming church for you know, queers and drug addicts and all kinds of like, you know, fucked up people. Not that queer people are inherently fucked up. You know what I mean? Um, right. People, people with <laughs> some baggage, people who a traditional church will not welcome. And her approach is like, no, like this is who Jesus had in his flock. Like this is, you're the people he was talking about and like all of this stuff. Um, so it, sh she's an interesting figure for me like i was raised um unitarian universalist um, oh, okay. which is very you know like uh like progressive lefty almost um like secular oh yeah no sort of no you were going to hell according to my church oh yeah yes. absolutely me and my whole yeah. family I've, I've been told that several times i mean because like, <laughs> i was i'm also from nebraska so like everybody oh, else who i was talking to was just like oh you're you're uh, a family full of heathens and um you're all gonna <laughs> burn in hell but cool you know like um but uh i don't know all of that to say that like church i i haven't gone in a long time but like my parents still do um and i see what it does for them providing a community and providing you know it's like some like moment of uh, spiritual reflection every week and just sort of a moment of like meditation. And I think that that's really important for uh, just the human psyche. However it is, you get it. If you go out and take a walk in nature, if you like whatever it is you do mm -hmm. um, that that's, that's something that uh, I think is important, but also gets dismissed pretty often by um i don't know people of our generation uh who consider themselves like you know, smart or intellectual or uh sort of atheistic like they the thing that they overlook as they're like talking about therapy and talking about you know like depression and anxiety is the spiritual aspect of human life they concentrate people tend to concentrate i think on like the mental and the material, but I think there's a different thing out there that's harder to uh, quantify and is hard to really get a grasp on without sounding woo-woo and like annoying too, you know, cause like I can only go so far into like the woo-woo stuff too. Like, I know I me really, too. I realized that I was I saying really something about like can't. the synapses in our brains and I'm like, oh, don't, it, it's not that. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Right. We have electrical impulses, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. It like I go all over the place on it. Like I find, uh, you know, reading, reading or listening to like someone like Carl Sagan speak about like the the nature of the universe is just as much like is just as spiritually moving to me as as any religious text could be. So like <laughs> it's you know however you find it and like the the denial of a. a a God in terms of, you know, 
the traditional religious definition of a god uh and like the scientific big bang evolution approach i think it's just as awe-inspiring and incredible and, and interesting that we're just like these you know yeah monkeys that developed consciousness and then developed farming and civilization it's all very weird that it all even like exists and we're all it talking is about it. and like that's a miraculous enough it doesn't need to be won the lottery creation. yeah it's just fucking it's insane um so uh what has your um when did you start therapy what has your uh experience been with with uh therapy speaking of uh so my first experience with therapy was I was encouraged within my church when I was saying I was having marital problems to seek uh, counseling. Um, but of course, Christian counseling. Um, went to the seminary where there are people doing their uh, degrees in Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. And actually had a really good experience with one particular person. Um, and I was going with my husband at the time. Um, and I found that when we were doing that together, we were doing better. And when we were not doing that together, we were not doing as well. I think the practice of therapy can be as uh, strengthening as the what you get out of therapy. Um, one of the people that I really looked up to in one of my jobs, which was teaching at an alternative high school um, for a few years, uh, she was a uh she, she was our mental health person and she come in, we, we got her like a day and a half a week or something. She really needed more mental health support in this alternative high school. But um, uh, she, at one point, she was like, what did you call this person that, that uh, um, she just said, you know, therapy is like, you just go sometimes and you go for a few weeks or you may go for a couple years and you may not go. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really good to have somebody, you know, who's not related to you and, mm-hmm to, to, to listen to you, help you sort stuff out. If that's, you know, what you want, you know, um, I've, you know, I've personally found that a a lot of good therapy has just been me talking and then the therapist doesn't have to do much to be like, do you see what you just said? And I'm like, Oh, you know, then something shifts. But, um, Although my current therapist also is super insightful and wonderful and um, has uh, and very gentle and very um, so, yeah. So I, I, I have gone to therapy to try to save a marriage or relationships. Um, I have gone to therapy in crisis. Um, I have stopped going to therapy when I feel better. I'm finding now that if I have some sort of contact with therapist on a regular basis, it could be monthly um, or I could up it to once a week if I'm really, you know, going through something. 
but the practice of of doing it is as helpful as what I get out of it, the actual content mm-hmm. of the therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, how did your, or does your uh, family uh, feel about uh, you stepping away from the church, being in therapy, um, being openly queer, all of that stuff now, your brother being openly gay, did, did that absorb okay with them or, or where, where are they at with that? I don't really talk to my parents much. Mm. Um, uh, I have a very strained relationship with them and it's, I don't even know that it's because of any of that stuff. Um, uh, my dad is absolutely, my dad had a really bad experience with the church and then left a church and has never gone back to it. And my mom still sends me, she sent me something today that was a prayer and I'm like, stop, stop. But I didn't say anything back. Um, right. Cause it does not help to keep drawing that boundary and having it be broken. That's part of how it's, why it's hard to talk to her because of the boundary things. But mm-hmm. um, I really haven't said much. Uh, my brother, um, I've talked, I've talked more with my brother um Actually, recently, I I didn't really do any of those things with with family. So, hmm. yeah, I did I I didn't I didn't really do any of those things with family. Um, I had a couple of chosen family members. Um. A woman who I've known since college, Catherine, uh, who's uh, in Denver, um, who was kind of with me through a lot um, since the divorce and and since uh, uprooting my life and coming to Seattle and then um, a bunch of you know any any of this any of the the big uh, hardships that have happened since, um, and my best friend Tam, um, I just I really yeah I don't I don't do those kind of things with family. I have chosen family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind talk, of weird to say out loud. Okay. I don't know that I've ever said that that's, before. A lot of people do like that's <laughs> and, and, and like, thank God for chosen families. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky in that I have a, a, a good relationship with my immediate family and we're all pretty like, you know, wholesome and, and sweet and nice to each other. But I know that that's not a thing that everybody happens to be born into. And it was just a, you know, again, I won the lottery. I lucked out and yeah. uh, here I am. But, uh, you know, that is just not a thing that is true for a lot of people. And, but you still need people who are close to you, who have, you know, a sense of unconditional love, who... Uh, will remain a constant in your life. You just, you know, you need that like you need some sort of spiritualism. You need that like you need some sort of routine. Like the human brain just needs certain things. Uh, yeah, However totally. they may look. Um, yeah. Let's talk about cocooning for a minute. You, you mentioned <laughs> cocooning, um, when, when, you know, like in the pre-interview. Uh, and that's something that, like I'm pretty into sometimes and have to get myself out of. And that's something that I think has been a big issue through the pandemic for a lot of people, because, uh, I feel like, um, how do I put this? A lot of people are as, you know, 
restrictions are ending for better or worse. Um, a lot of people are having trouble readjusting and coming back out into the world. Um, perhaps it's prudence and people shouldn't be going back out into the world just fully willy-nilly unmasked um, at the way that they're doing. But like at the same time, it's just like we've also <laughs> kind of been left high and dry and like we're very much on our own here. So like, yeah, wild rest, <laughs> so we might as well just like fucking party for a minute. I don't know. Right. But like... <laughs> Uh, you know, as a, as an introverted person who is kind of happy to just like stay inside with my girlfriend and my dog and, and like, you know, watch Netflix and stuff like I, I was, I don't know. I had very mixed feelings about the idea of like not going out in the world, uh, very much, you know? Mm-hmm. So what does cocooning do for, for you? What does your cocooning look like? And, uh, you know, <laughs> how does it, how does it help you and how does it hinder you and how do you get out of it when, when like it is so kind of comfortable and enticing to, to just like stay inside and never go anywhere or see anybody. That is, uh, that is something I was just talking to my therapist about actually is how <laughs> I pull myself out of the cocoon more success successfully, uh, more. Um, so cocooning, cocooning for me involves a lot of blankets mm -hmm. and pillows. Uh, I could, uh, if I need to do any work, um, for whatever the band, the web, the, you know, my new podcast I'm trying to do writing, I'm trying to write, um, but I do it, uh, basically on a pillow throne with, uh, covered in blankets, um, in pajamas and maybe a onesie. It depends on the kind of day. Um, I think for so long, part of what was expected of me was just to go, 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 um, and that I didn't understand when I was getting uncomfortable or when I was getting, when I needed to cocoon. Um, so I started hardcore cocooning kind of in the winter times because like summertime for bands is really busy and you've got travel and festivals. And so basically I would kind of hibernate through winter um, and then, of course, we we're just coming out of a winter hibernation when everything shut down for COVID. Yeah. So I basically haven't stopped hibernating. Um, so even though I've been out uh, on tour, I go down to Portland for most of my music jobs every weekend. Um, I, I feel I feel like I've been hibernating for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, but cocooning is really good. Like I, I've come, I've come to accept that when I get back from Portland, when I get back from a trip, uh, when I've done something big, I need to be under the blankets. I need to be very warm and fuzzy and comfortable. Um, it is coming out of it that went, cause I also know that if I stay there too long, if I let Hulu play too long, um, I'm going to feel like shit if yeah. I stay in the cocoon too long. Um, I have a checklist 
of things that has been my, um, I'm staring at it right now, uh, that has been my antidote for too much time on my hands because basically all my work was live entertainment and then it all went away. So uh, my checklist includes uh, yoga, meditation. I have some five pound weights, uh, some other kind of exercise things, and they're all separate squares. So there's different kinds of physical activity Mm -hmm. and I can kind of pick one that feels okay. I guess I'll slide out of the covers because I can lay on a yoga mat, stretch out for a little bit. And then once I'm there, then I'm probably going to want to like get my five pound weights out, yeah. you know, and like yeah. that gets me up, but I have to be real gentle with myself. Um, I also have things on my checklist, like my instruments, making sure I play um, my bass and, but also something else, uh, my piano, my ukulele, my guitar or something. Um, I have three different kinds of writing on there, including morning pages, good old, uh, artist way, mm-hmm. morning pages, um, uh, crafting, um, making sure I'm doing some sort of recovery work is, is on there, uh, still. So, um, that's my, that's how I get out of the cocoon is that like the first day I'm not going to have many things checked off, but the next thing, the next day I go for more, for more things, checking them off my list. Do you have trouble with uh, like sleeping in or getting out of bed in the morning? Actually, um, t- today I slept in and it felt really weird. Um, I used to when I was drinking. Mm. Um, but uh, one of the things that became really like on my, um, in Smart Recovery, we do these hierarchy of values, the things that matter most to you and the reasons you want to make change. And like number one on my hierarchy of values has been uh, clear headed mornings. So being able to get up and like pop up out of bed and make coffee and like have some energy to do some of that writing, um, that is actually like, that's pretty cool that I could do that. Cause I spent so many years not being able to get out of bed in a, in a, have any energy or, you know, it was like a fight to get out of bed. So it's hard. It's something that I intermittently do struggle with too. And, you know, like with cocooning, you know, it's hard to find the balance of, I don't know, letting yourself do that and like having time as a, maybe like more of an introverted person to withdraw and cocoon and be comfortable and cozy and, you know, relax, rest, recover, all of that good stuff and mm-hmm. not let that just like fully go into just, you know, depression and bad yep. hygiene and bed sores and shit. Like, it, oh it, like, my God. it fully yes. can like go, I've never had bed sores, but like, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I have but, not either, um, but, but I have like, got days without showering. Yeah. Like I've definitely like <laughs> slipped into just like, oh, I've done nothing. Like I haven't really left the house except to like go down to like the corner store and get like another sandwich, you know, for, for days at a time. And, and just like, I'm just eating like fast food and just like sitting by myself and, and just like smoking weed and jerking off and not talking to anybody. And like, it's not good. Like it it feels great to do that for like a day, maybe an afternoon, you know, especially if you're like really overwhelmed and intense and you just like have some me time, you draw a bath, you know, you, you just stay in bed, you wash some shit on your laptop. That's great. But then like, when it goes on for too long, like, you know, a, a moderation again, too much of anything. Everything it's just too much. In moderation. <laughs> 
That's why I have my checklist. It is super helpful. It's like I can, I'm like, okay, do something. Because when I do, I'm not saying if, I'm saying when I have too much time where I haven't, I haven't done anything. It does. It starts to feel icky and heavy and it feeds depression Mm -hmm. and then it feeds anxiety. And so making sure that I'm, I'm even, you know, even if it's a 20 minute yoga video, uh, or even if my morning pages are a paragraph long, or even if I have a funny idea and I just write three words about it, you know, I'm working on a stand up comedy set. I have not, I've only gotten on stage once. I keep picking these things to be new at where you have to suck in front of people first mm-hmm. before you before you do it before you get good and uh so apparently i've picked stand-up comedy now and but like if enough i have like like an idea and, and it's three words like write write it down um well the good news and, is and, it's, it's it's much easier to be taken seriously as a, a female stand-up comic uh than it is a female musician right <laughs> it's a much it's a much more lady-friendly industry so I'm totally gonna, you know what? It's, it's funny because I go to two different open mics right mm-hmm. now in Seattle and they're totally different. The first one that I found is a total sausage fest and love it. Go in there. You know, I, you know, the dick jokes and, you know, whatever of the, you know, of course there's a lot of punching down that happens, but it's not as much as I thought there would be. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is, uh, queer friendly um we only punch up uh heckle free uh comedy night and it's in this tiny little old theater and it's called comedy nest and um and it's you know queer it's lgbtq friendly and and disability friendly um and every it's i swear it's always a great night and i'm i'm gonna aim to get up at that one soon but um yeah, both 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 of those both of those nights are very valuable to just like keep watching and keep observing. Uh, but now I will observe like how is it how is it perceived like being a a woman doing stand up comedy versus <laughs> being a woman in, in music. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna be tracking that. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I, I think. Uh both of those rooms might have some value because uh, it's good to be in a space where it's encouraging and you're surrounded and you feel safe and you feel, uh, you know, uh, uh, nurtured, but like, again, balance it and like go out into the hostile world and understand that like, not everybody's going to like you and not everybody's going to like, think you're a special little snowflake and all of that shit. It was like, some people are just going to like fucking hate you (laughs) just by looking at you and like, just understand that. Sorry. Like life's fucking hard, you know? And, and I, um, you know, I, I always, I worry sometimes that I sound like some sort of like right wing reactionary or something when I talk about how like people are too soft or whatever sometimes. Cause I'm just like, cause like I, 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 I am talking about myself like often when right. I'm just like, not like I have been too soft and I see that in other people that they just like maybe there is something to be said. Like there was just like maybe a little too much just coddling and encouragement and you get out into the real world and it's cruel and fucked up and horrible. And that can be a real shock for people. And I think that like toughening up is important, but it also has to be balanced with, you know, uh, self 
love and and, and yeah. supports and and having a network of people who understand you it's just it's really it's just hard this is an argument for this is an argument for open mic hmm. um because I, I, I am a big believer in open mic. If it weren't for open mic and open blues jam settings, I would not be doing what I do now for a living, which is playing bass. Um, I went to open mics, um, it, you know, strumming my guitar and singing my Indigo Girlsy type songs. Like I, <laughs> um, before I ever came out, by the way. Right. <laughs> Um, and and I to. did that into, uh, I did that and I had good nights and I had horrible nights where I never wanted to do it again. And it was the, it was the stage resilience that I built up that allowed me to like keep doing it in front of people, um, and understand that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk into different situations, um, at any given night and I'm going to phase people who are there to see me or not, or, um, into it or not, or I'm wallpaper or they're right there or they're right there, but they want to hear something else, not what I'm playing or if they're like spouting requests all night long. Like, have you heard what we do? We don't do that kind of music. Yeah. Um, but they're just so into it and they're with you. Um, so, but I got that experience from doing a variety of different open mics. And so that's, that's why I put myself in the, in the comedy open mic, um, uh, track yeah. to go. And right now I'm just, like I said, just in observing mode and then, um, start, I will get into signing up every week and, and getting up every week because I know it's going to be that up and down and I'm going to have encouragement and I'm going to have like nights where I never want to do it again. There's a there's a Prince song called Pop Life where there's like in the middle of the song there's this uh, little uh, like recording of like a crowd booing and like you know like it's it's a recording of him getting booed off stage. Um, oh. He opened for uh, the Stones, I think, after like his first album or something. He was just this like you know little tiny effeminate black man like running around the stage in a bikini, and he got booed off stage. And like, I'm sure that wasn't wow. the only time that that happened to him. And for somebody with like, who's that much of a like dynamo, you know, stage persona, who just like one of the best live performers of all time. Yes. And, you know, just one of the most like flamboyant, like crazy dressing, just like really like out there, insane performers. Um, he had to go through the fucking slings and arrows just like everybody else. So like, yep. this is what I'm saying. It's just like people <laughs> just need to like, just like get the shit kicked out of them every now and then and, and understand yeah. that's not going to be the end of the world. That's right. 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 It's going to happen, but it's not going to be the end of the world if you don't let it. If you don't let it be, if you keep going. Melanie Owen, thank you so much for being on the show. This was great. Best of luck in in your uh, your new open mic uh, ventures. <laughs> I hope that goes well for you, and I hope you have some shitty nights too, and and it doesn't kill you, you know, and like it'll be okay. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, Social I'm media, traveling. like yeah, your bands, any of that stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. So my band is the Groove Tramps. I've got a website, GrooveTramps.com, um, where I have music on there. Um, I primarily play for other people right now, and I'm traveling and playing a lot with Ben Rice Band. He's at BenRiceLive.com, uh, and he's a brilliant blues musician uh, out of Portland. Um, and yeah, I will plug also, um, if you're looking for uh, help, if you are struggling with um, substances, um, find what works for you. Um, but if you want something that's not spiritually based, try Smart Recovery. It's smartrecovery.org. And there's lots of online meetings. And lots, lots of things that you can do on your own too. There's the toolbox online, whatever. Um, there's no wrong way to enter into it. Uh, start grabbing information that works for you. Hell yeah. Um, Ed, this, this was great. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this podcast you're going to make. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll keep my listeners updated on, on that progress. Cause I, I think Thank it's you. Be yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you once again to Melanie Owen for being on the show. Check her workout. Check out her music. Check out that podcast whenever it happens. It'll happen. It'll happen soon, maybe. Might be happening right now. As you're listening to this, you can listen to this in the future. Who knows? Might already be out. Whatever. Uh, look, rate and review on iTunes and uh, Spotify tell a friend word of mouth if you got any like uh, you know just uh, annoying crazy friends if you got friends who are depressed if you got friends who got a lot of anxiety if you you got friends who just you know just have self esteem issues let them know be like hey there's a podcast by a crazy idiot that you might like you crazy idiot It's for and by crazy idiots who can't get their shit together. So this is for you, my people. Patreon.com slash self-worst. Kick in as little as a dollar a month. There's bonus content and all that shit. Um, I'm Brad Pearson. You can follow me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Not really doing too much tweeting these days. I'll be back. Um... And follow the show at SelfWorst on Instagram and get updates about the show. Fun uh, depression memes, stuff like that. And uh, that's about it. Music is by Shea Bartell. Thank you, Shay. Tag us in your Instagram stories. Do all that. Uh, just distribute leaflets. You know, do whatever. Do whatever it takes to get the word out about this show. And I'll appreciate it. I appreciate you anyway. Just just for being you. Alright. Hope you have a good week. Hope it's eventful in a good way. But only so much we can do about that shit, huh? Alright. I'm gonna get out of here and go do other things now. I got other shit to do. This podcast isn't my life. I gotta go... Like I said. All right. Goodbye.